0: Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Josh Ellithorpe. Josh Ellithorpe is CTO at Pixelated Inc. His career highlights include working as a software engineer for Oracle and Coinbase. In this episode, Stefan and Josh discuss going local in a global world, inflation and overconsumption, and the regulatory issues between governments and crypto with P2P Cash. Enjoy this episode.
1: OK, we're live. Hey guys, um, happy to have uh, be back, and, and always super excited, right? And super excited, especially today, because I've got a true OG in the industry that we're talking to, Josh Ellithorpe. He's one of the first um, you know, engineers at Coinbase. One of the first people to help build that platform as we all now know it today, but also now is in um, the NFT space, right? Working with, and the gaming space, working with Pixelated Ink, and working on a really interesting Hollywood product, you know, clementinesnightmare.io. So yeah, welcome Josh and, and super happy to finally actually be able to spend time together versus just working on on a blockchain project together and trying to scale that hey welcome
2: absolutely it's a pleasure thanks for having me on
1: yeah no we've been we've been talking about a lot of different things and you know my view and and, and i think we were chatting a bit earlier is that this is the greatest time to be alive right i mean we really um, have the opportunity to really decentralize things get rid of middlemen change systems right and and systemically change those systems right and really build from the ground up and get new people to opt in and you've done and chosen to do that most of your career right you got in really early what was the first trigger point getting you into bitcoin and what really let you buy into it and and really sort of see the opportunity that this represented
2: I mean, to be perfectly honest, I looked at the technology and I'm not a fan of U.S. dollars. Um, I'm not a fan of the Federal Reserve and how the U.S. handles their uh, monetary policy. I think that they do a lot of things that hurt the average American in ways that they don't understand, uh, whether that is through hidden inflation. And a lot of these problems started, you know, in uh, 1971 uh, with the disconnect from the gold standard. Gold And so I, I see a lot of systemic problems with the current fiat systems. And I was looking for alternatives and there were a lot of people talking about that at the time. And when I first saw Bitcoin, no one was really using it yet, but I remember reading the, the white paper when it first dropped and I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. But then I left and I moved to California. I got distracted for a couple of years and then it took me a little bit before I came back to the industry to work in it full time and super happy that I did.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's it's always interesting hearing how we stumble across it. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize yet is how we are taxated on so many different levels, right? Not only do we pay tax at the state, the federal level, but we're also taxated with inflation, right? And one of the products yep. that we launched was trueflation to highlight and build a new system on how to calculate inflation. Um, because real inflation is actually higher than what we're being told all the time, right?
2: I mean, I'm here in Hawaii. I've watched as prices have tripled for certain goods and services. If you're trying to buy lumber, we're talking 350, 375% inflation. And and people – it, it, it's insane when someone says that we're seeing sub 10% inflation. Yeah. It's like, what are you looking at? Right? No, exactly. I, I'm looking at a brown paper bag of groceries. Yeah. I remember going to the grocery store and it'd be like 30 bucks for a brown paper bag yeah. of groceries. It is near impossible to walk out of a grocery store with that same bag of groceries for less than $100 now. Yeah. So I just look at empirical examples rather than the rates that they're coming from the Fed because the Fed lies.
1: Yeah. And I think you've taken a really interesting approach, right? I think you you saw some sci- writings on the wall. And, you know, whilst you're in tech and, and you were in the sort of the middle of, of the tech industry uh, based in the hub of technology, uh, you decided to pack your bags up, move, buy your own land and build out your own source of food etc. So taking a very different approach to what most people would be go, go buy a massive villa and deck it all out and be really close to some really good supermarkets and high end restaurants. So what brought that about and how did that change well, and, and, and how's so that decentralization life decentralization Is
2: about a lot more than money. Yeah. It's about us being self sufficient. Yeah. And so it's it money is one aspect of that that we want to be sufficient and be able to not have middlemen. But right now we have middlemen in so many different layers of our lives, whether that is food production, whether that is uh, goods and services that you need. And so I've been trying to do more and more things myself and take personal responsibility and accountability for my life. And that means trying to go to local farmers markets and supporting my local farmers. That means um, trying to prepare my own food and growing my own food, trying to provide my own power providing my own water, doing those things so that I'm not reliant on a third party in order to stay you know, self-sufficient. And so as I get further and further uh, into my life, I realize how important it is that I have those lessons. So when I came to Hawaii, I kind of looked at it as I'm going to spend my 40s unlearning city life and trying yeah. to actually decentralize my life in a way that makes sense. And it was the best decision I ever
1: made. And how do you find that from a lifestyle perspective? Has that, I mean, on the one hand, what is the best decision? Why is it the best decision? And how's that I impact feel better. your lifestyle? You feel better. So, Interesting. I feel better. In terms I just of like healthy, naturally health-wise?
2: feel better. I feel healthier. I have more energy. I have more time to do the things that I actually care about. I'm less in, inundated by the minutia of city life. Uh, Air quality is better. Uh, Just personal time and being able to relax, meditate, and enjoy the moments that I want in this life have increased as I've taken that perspective. And there's something really special about walking around your land and grabbing an orange off the tree or grabbing a banana off your tree and eating it and knowing like, wow, that just like grew here. This is just something that the earth provides us and is something that we can cultivate and enjoy. And it doesn't require a state. It doesn't require a middleman. It doesn't require anyone else other than me and my contract with this earth.
1: And I think, you know, to that point, right, we were talking briefly about what's going on on the planet at the moment, right? And, and particularly in Ukraine and talking about food, right? What comes to my mind is the fact that, you know, with Russia invading Ukraine, you have one of the world's largest wheat supplier in Russia, and they've been sanctioned off. Everything's cut off. We can't do any deals with Russia. And nobody with one or two, three degrees of separation can do a deal with Russia either. So wheat is out of the equation. Then mm-hmm. you've got Ukraine, which is one of the largest supplier of fertilizer ingredients, right? That go to all the chemical industries that help plant, you know, <laughs> provide the the nutrition and. I think with the fertilization of it and the industrialization of food manufacturing, we've lost quality of food, right? I mean, well, so it doesn't taste as nice. It's, it's it's much more. Yeah. And as a result, well, we're pillaging the planet as well, right?
2: Well, it's a yeah. proven thing. Uh, right now, yeah. the food that we eat has about one-tenth of the mineral and vitamin content that it had yeah. just 70 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you look at the quality of the food, and that means that you're going to have to eat you know, 10 times more broccoli. Yeah or 10 times more green beans, (laughs) or whatever it is. Uh, And the truth is, is that those agricultural practices have failed us. Um, There's a lot of forces at play, so I don't like to attribute it to malice. But in trying to to feed so many people in an urban environment, that requires packaging, that requires distribution, that requires higher use of preservatives and other chemicals to make sure that it can sit on the shelf longer, because of the time it takes to distribute and get the food to the individual. Those things have proven toxic. So whether that is high fructose corn syrup, which has bad, bad effects on the human body, whether that's uh, the abundance of seed oils, there are a lot of things that are being fed to us in the traditional grocery store or traditional uh, restaurants that are not nearly as good for you as you would think they would, even if you're paying a top dollar at a premium uh, establishment. And so to me, being able to grow our own food and more importantly, more sustainable food practices is something that we all should be striving to do, whether that is figuring out ways to do urban farming, whether that um, or coming back to, you know, an island or some beautiful area where you can just do outdoor farming, things like permaculture and food forests and things that don't require external fertilizers, don't uh, require extra chemicals but are more about the composition of your crops is something that we all should understand. And what I find is a shame is you look at your average, say, 35-year-old in America. They don't know how to grow food. They don't even know what it would take to grow their food. Because to them, food is, oh, I go to the Whole Foods. I go to the Safeway or the Costco for food. They, they don't even think about where that food is actually coming from. And that's part of the problem is that users need to demand a higher quality. In order to do that, they need to understand what that higher quality is and how that needs to be you know, delivered to them. And most of those people just don't have that context.
1: And what I find, I mean, you mentioned it briefly earlier, is the local food markets, farmer markets, right? How do you go and support your local farmers, right? And, and they may not have huge farms, and and huge acres worth of, of, of plantations, but they've got, they're actually cultivating it, bringing it to market, and it tastes much better. Um, oh, yeah. And particularly through the COVID, they don't get much support. They're on their own, right? So how do you support your local community a lot more? And that's by going to local restaurants, using local ingredients, and going to local farmer's market to buy the ingredients that you use to cook at home as well, right? And so I- And also asking
2: questions. About uh, to those farmers. So I go to the farmer's market every week. That's how I get all of my produce. That's how I get my eggs. That's how I get my juice. Like all that stuff is coming from the farmer's market. But even at the farmer's market, you need to ask them. And so you pick up, you know, your green onions and you ask them, hey, how was this grown? And some of them will be like, oh, that's aquaponics. Oh, that was in soil that hasn't been sprayed for eight years. Someone will say, oh, that's certified organic. And you're still there's still a trust relationship with you and that farmer. They could lie to you right there's no proof that that crop came from where it was but your levels of indirection are one so there's only one person that could have lied to you and most likely they're not if they're trying to provide high quality food at a farmers market
1: but the there's also a personal relationship that yeah and there's also a personal relationship there right you see them eye to eye and they're going to go there next week if they want to go back again next week you can always go back there and, hey, you told me this was going to be like this. And I didn't see that in any of the nutrients that you said and claimed it had, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: no, I mean, I love the farmers' market. You get to know all of the farmers. And then for me, it's about fresh meat. Um, honestly, I'm not a big fan of the meat industry in the United States. I think a lot of that is kind of torturous. But I'm a meat, I'm a meat eater. I'm pro-meat, anti current process for meat. So being here in Hawaii, I'm fortunate that we do have our own uh, you know, cattle here. I can get go to the local butcher, get locally sourced grass-fed meats. I can get grub-fed chicken. I can get high-quality wild boar that's just natural on the island. And I don't need to go and get the traditional uh, meat products that are being fed to a lot of other people. In my time in California, I found it insane when I did my first drive from San Francisco to LA and I smelled the five. I realized I didn't want to consume that meat anymore. I mean, for 35 to 40 minutes on that highway, all you smell is like stench of the meat industry when you drive that drive. And it smells like, it smells like nothing you would ever want to consume. And after doing that drive, I was just like, yeah, um, if I'm going to do the meats, I'm going to do a higher price point on the meat because unfortunately the way that free markets work, you know, if you want something a little bit better, that's not mass produced, it's going to cost you more. But that cost is for the betterment of my, my soul and for my, my m- me as a human, it's worth it.
1: But I think we're also constantly taught, you know, consume more, buy more, have more, eat more, drink more, right? In the end, we don't really need more, more, more all the time, right? It's like, how do I maybe eat a bit less, but eat better, right? And so I think there's a- Well, let's a, talk about mon- inflation. Yeah, Because
2: inflation is <laughs> the, the, the hidden driver behind yeah. the buy more mentality. Yeah. So if I have $10 and yeah. I know tomorrow that $10 is going to be worth less in the market, it is my best incentive is to spend the $10. Yep. Now take that and amplify that for 50 years. or 100 years and you start to see a picture where it's like consumer behavior has been driven by this subtle mechanism that says no when you have money you should be spending it because if you don't you're going to get less value out of it that then hits your subconscious and now when you have money you're more likely to try to be in a spend-based mentality and that's why i like the idea of fixed amounts on a currency whether that's bitcoin or bitcoin cash or litecoin coin that has an actual fixed amount i'm also pro tail emission i think tail emission is actually a totally fine thing uh but sorry what is what having, is
1: tail, tail emission can you explain so what tail that emission
2: is? is if you have a coin and instead of saying that oh there's 21 million like that coin yep. you say yes there's a fixed amount however when the block reward was supposed to run out we're going to just put out a little bit okay. and eventually that that gradient of the inflation is trending to zero because it's a static amount. So Monero has uh, tail emission, for instance. Okay. And I actually think that's fine because it doesn't overinflate the currency. It makes up for lost coins. It allows for a slight additional reward for the miners that continues in perpetuity. So there are some benefits to it. Um, so I'm not anti-tail emission. Okay. But both of those have a very interesting property is that if you have a very low inflation rate and you have more users that come into a currency... That means the exact opposite market force is at play. Yep. It is actually yep. to your behest to not spend the money and hold that money because yep. your buying power with that money should go up. Yep. What that encourages is the purchasing of higher quality goods and services because now you can wait. You can yep. wait an extra three weeks and save a little bit more from your paychecks and buy the higher quality good without losing purchasing power. So I actually think that there are market forces in crypto that are actually much better for consumer buying behavior and overall health of our planet through less waste because of a change in that subconscious way that we look at money.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's to me. So so coming back maybe just to that point, right, coming back to the farmer's market, right, one of the questions I always get asked is, two things, right? One is, you know, where can I spend my Bitcoin, right? If I've got crypto, where can I spend it, right? Can I go to the local farmer's market and pay in crypto? You know, and and could, you know, that's one question that I always get asked, right? Um, And then the second question is, if I'm spending in Bitcoin or Monero or whatever the currency I'm using is, I don't want to be the guy that spent 11 million or however many million on that pizza, you know, that that everybody looks at afterwards, right? Because the price has gone up. But at, nobody really realizes that at the time, nobody believed in Bitcoin, right? It was worth nothing. And to have a pizza delivery guy actually accept Bitcoin, at the time, it was only $1 or whatever the price was at that yeah. given point in time, right? And so I could have converted into a stable coin and then paid in stable coin, but then it would have been only $1 and nobody... Neither you, you you needed to convert it into a stable coin and you would have lost that 11 or whatever million dollars of pizza equivalent it was, right? And so, how, how do you find and 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 how do you find and blend that psychological, um, you know, impression that people have? And then, number two it's, is it's, can you spend crypto everywhere and are you comfortable with doing that?
2: So, I love spending crypto, I've been yeah. to a bunch of places where I can spend crypto. Here in Hawaii, the laws are not very friendly. Uh, A lot of crypto exchanges here in Hawaii are not allowed because they have um, some laws on the book that make it very difficult for exchanges to hold the reserves that are necessary for consumer protection law here in Hawaii. Uh, They're required to hold a dollar for every dollar of asset that they hold. So, for instance, a Coinbase can't do business here because they would have to hold tens of billions of USD just as insurance to do business in hawaii there are some uh get like programs to make it uh that have been started to open up the door for crypto and there are a few exchanges that are doing that now gemini i believe kraken and a few others uh the number of merchants here is actually relatively low but it depends on the market and i found that i just ask everyone i deal with if they'll take crypto Um, And there are definitely people that do. And we're slowly onboarding businesses. And for the crops that I'm growing, I don't take fiat for those crops. So to me, the the way that you get people to use crypto is to be earning crypto, just like you earn regular dollars, which means selling your goods and services, accepting that at your business. And so I find it really disappointing when I see Bitcoin's name in a business and they don't take Bitcoin. To me, that's just that's a scam. That's like, there's no other word for it. You're riding on the coattails of cryptocurrency to increase the number of fiat dollars you have in your bank account is taking advantage of the industry. So if you actually are a crypto believer and you have a business, then I would expect your business actually takes crypto directly. And even if you're using a solution like BitPay, uh, I think that those solutions are great interim solutions and they allow for payment splitting from the person that's accepting that payment. So for a BitPay merchant, they can say, I want 15% in crypto. I'd like 5% in crypto, I'd like 80% in crypto. But they have the option and they have the tooling to convert to fiat for their business. And so I like that flexibility, even though I prefer you know, straight peer-to-peer transactions. And I found that a lot of people do want to take crypto. And the best thing is, is that they wanna hedge against the inflation rate and what's happening with the US dollar. And then they look at the percentage of their customers that would be willing to pay in crypto, which is generally today, and let's be honest, less than 5%. So if only less than 5% of your customers are looking to pay in crypto, that means that your liability in the crypto market is 5% of your overall sales. So what happens? Okay, crypto has a terrible season and it all goes to zero. You lost 5% of your revenue is a risk most businesses are willing to take if they're interested in crypto. Reality is, is it doesn't do that, right? It is cyclical and they may lose 20% of their 5% and then they may gain it back. And they're willing to take that volatility. And a lot of them are doing that because they want more sovereign money Uh, and they see what's happening with money today. They see what happened in Canada with people's bank accounts being turned off. They see the you know the growth of organizations like the SEC, which do not protect investors. They they protect rich investors, and so the, the truth is is that to be an accredited investor to the SEC, you have to have more than a million dollars of liquid assets. That knocked out 98 percent of americans so what are they doing they're making it so that the rich can do things safely and they're completely making the markets unavailable to a majority of the working class and that's just a shame i mean that's just uh to me an organization that shouldn't exist
1: yeah no i think i mean i was here you know i just moved to austin and i've set up in austin and um You know, I go to a lot of the shops here and and the liquor shop accepts Bitcoin and crypto, right? And so, but the restaurant still, I I didn't have a credit card. I only have Apple Pay on my phone um, and I don't have a credit card on me, a physical, and they won't accept Apple Pay. And so it's like, I can pay in crypto. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, as if it's like, oh no, we can't, we never will accept crypto. That's not real money, right? And so they then have to go all the way to find somebody who had a, Who had a a, a baffle pay recipient before they accepted crypto it's like why would you i can't i
2: can't disagree with them though so let's look at the greater crypto market and then look at the qualities that make sound money 99 percent of the things in the crypto market are not sound money so when they say like oh that's not money i don't want to take that i really can't argue with them except for for a few currencies that i actually think work well for peer-to-peer cash use cases or for actual payment use cases also, any a lot of these coins... What monies, what, monies,
1: what monies would those be? What cryptos would you view as, as being real good money? So
2: to me, I'm a Bitcoin cash fan uh, for yep. peer-to-peer cash. That's how we met. Yep. I think that privacy coins are interesting, um, yep. uh, like Monero. Uh, and I think that's about it, to be honest. Um, okay. Maybe Dash as well. Dash does a lot yep. of things. I wasn't crazy about some of the early decisions before they were actually Dash. Um, And I guess that clouds my mind a little bit, but a lot of their initiatives now, I think they really are on the path to try to provide peer-to-peer cash. So I can't discount them either. Um, The the issue I have with a lot of them is that a lot of coins have decided to merge identity with your money. So let's look at Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum to me is terrible money. It is a good global computer that costs too much, but is terrible global money. And the reason for that is too many people are tying their identity to their addresses, which means that if you're looking for privacy, you get none. If the IRS wants to audit you, they literally load up your address on Etherscan and they audit you and you get none of the benefits of of that. In addition, you have no fungibility. So you have a lot of blacklisted things because of the number of scams that have happened in the NFT markets and other markets. So if addresses are getting blacklisted and you have centralized infrastructure like Infura that allows for that blacklisting to actually occur, then there's no fungibility on that coin whatsoever. You could be turned off at at a moment's notice. So that doesn't make good money. Um, And so there are very few coins that are looking at how to make sure that the coin is actually something that can be used. Now, while I'm a fan of privacy coins, my issue with privacy coins is the that liquidity is far harder to get. So I wanna go and buy some Monero. I'm forced to try to figure out something peer-to-peer or use a less than ideal exchange because there's a lot of um, uh, there are a lot of exchanges that won't touch privacy coins. But there's also the issue of auditability. Uh, I wanna be able to audit that the, the chain's actually working correctly. And if I'm trying to create a money for 7 billion people, I need an audit trail. I need to know that for a fact, that the money is working correctly. Unfortunately, visibility on what's happening on chain and correctness being checked on chain are intricately tied together. So you can't tell it was some of the privacy coins if someone mints fake coins. This is a huge problem, right? Because that requires a very large degree of trust in not only the math, but the uh, you know ceremonies they used to create the coins. And It is something that is going to be really difficult moving forward to get those coins into the hands of enough people, given the current market. So while I do believe that privacy coins offer the best privacy and that opt-in privacy is not ideal, which is why I support things like Signal for messaging that are encryption only, I don't think that argument is 100% true when it comes to cryptocurrencies because we all need to have access to the currency. We all want to know that it's operating correctly and we need a better visibility mechanism than just, oh, a mathematician in the 1% has said that this algorithm works as a good enough reason to trust the money.
1: I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely a still, I mean, we're still early, right? I mean, crypto has been around, Bitcoin and has been around since 2009, maybe, you know, sort of the exact date we all sort of you know, no, but I mean, it, till it really hit distribution and really got around, it's, you know, let's say it's 10, 12 years old. So we're still really early on in the dev- evolution of, oh, yes. of these currencies. And there are, you know, one thing that I think, you know, you and I, uh, we, you know, we got involved really around driving it as a payment mechanism, right? And it's actually a electronic ca- peer-to-peer payment system, right? I mean, that's what we created. And that's why we got involved in it. And it's now sort of all become and shifted much more towards an investment and an asset class, right? And, and we hold it. So it's not being used anymore to spend. It's being held, used to invest in, hold it, and hopefully it goes up because of the deflationary nature of, of a lot of these coins. But Which digital,
2: are, digital assets yeah. are not actually uh, deflationary. Yeah. A single – digital asset can claim to be deflationary. Um, And it's the same thing for these NFT worlds as well, right? Yep. There's an infinite number of these things that can be created. There's an infinite amount of digital property, digital land, all these things. The only thing that matters, though, is the user base of that particular product, right? But if you spread the user base across all of the different coins, then there's no scarcity whatsoever. If everyone in, adopts a crypto uh, point of sale system, and yeah. they say we'll accept any cryptocurrency, there's there's no limit, period, on to, the to what.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So once I accept, you know, yeah, Ethereum, I've got all the ERC twenties there, and I can accept any one of them. Every new ERC twenty that gets created, all of a sudden, adds to the overall liquidity and inflation of that coin or of that currency base, right? Um, That's exactly it. So
2: we're in a world where unless we can minimize the number of assets that we're dealing with, we are in a hyper-inflationary monetary market where anyone can inflate the supply of the greater market tomorrow by just minting their own whatever coin. I could go and mint... 40 billion Josh coins as an ERC 20. And yep. if people start accepting it, that's the available money pool has increased. Yep. And the, the problem there is that a lot of these are not really good for as money. And I'm not a fan of proof of stake. So I think that uh, there are quite a few challenges to proof of stake that people don't like to discuss and that people are not honest in the debate of the difference between proof of work and proof of stake when it comes to sound money.
1: I mean, I do, but I mean, I buy that a little bit, but on the flip side, I do see that there is room for a currency to establish itself and build a community around that currency. And the currency is a reflection of that community, right? It is mm-hmm. what we as a community, we buy into it and we believe it. And if you look at a global basis, all the different currencies that are around the world today that all have, you know, dollars and dime and cents, right? And so... You've got that and you've got that in every single currency and a currency worldwide. I mean, look at the Swiss franc, right? It's a global currency that the world respects. And there's only a population of 7 million people that really, you know, that are using this single currency. But the world just trusts it for whatever reason, right? And, and, and I think crypto and, 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 and currencies that are created are going to have a simbol- similar sort of reflection right and some currencies are going to be trusted more right I trust Bitcoin way more that's but I won't spend my Bitcoin I'll spend a derivative of that or something because I don't want to lose it right but then Ethereum okay you know will I trust that or will I trust all the cents that are created of um, that Ethereum I don't know but if you can build a currency that you get enough people buying into it and that community respects the value behind that, even if it's your local farmer's market. And I just use it in in Hawaii for going to the local farmer's market and us as a farmer, we trade across that currency. That is something that will grow and build a community that people trust. And that's what I think crypto and these digital assets have allowed us to create um, and and, and, yeah, build a a social object- Exactly. Mass, massive tribalism. Exactly.
2: And the thing about tribalism is that some of it is warranted and some of it yep. is, uh, is, is ephemeral, right? Like it doesn't yep. make it any sense. Definitely,
1: And, totally.
2: uh, you know, I look at the actual qualities of these coins and some of them uh, just are advertising things that are just not true. Right. And you look at it and. Uh, A lot of people will change the debate around certain currencies and be like, oh, but this is going to solve the problem. It's like, yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't. Now, you're not being honest with yourself on the solutions that you're presenting. I'm a huge fan of the Bitcoin system. I think that what's happened with Bitcoin is a shame. I think that uh, this idea that you you don't use it, that you only use it in layer two, that we aren't even going to try to scale the base layer. All of that is a giant mistake that will be laughed about in 50 years. And uh, to me, the, I still hold Bitcoin. I still have BTC. Uh, but th- do I believe in what they're doing? And the truth is, is that I want sound money for this world. I like the idea of a new reserve asset now, since we don't have one today. But a reserve asset doesn't help the people that need censor- uh, censorship resistant payments. It doesn't help the people that have been deplatformed from PayPal. It doesn't help the people that are selling on the gray market things that are of questionable legality um, that should be legal uh, because a majority of people are there. And we can look at examples like the drug war, right? I think most people can agree that the harm from trying people for marijuana during the drug war outweighed the benefits. And today, people have woken up. We've seen numerous states make that legal. Well, peer-to-peer cash solves those types of problems because if people don't believe there's a harm and there is a harm in the current legislation, they should be able to trade freely, which is why I'm a fan of the separation of money and state. The state is not always right. What's right is the majority of the people as to where we want to push uh, our planet forward. So I think that anything that doesn't encourage use or requires use through a middleman is going down the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the funny things is is that in all the people that have been cut off from all the industries that have been cut off from the financial systems, because they've been deemed by the state or by some big brother that this is not, this is bad, right? This is bad for society. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all the first adopters of crypto, right? So you mentioned the cannabis industry or the marijuana industry, right? They were struggling to get bank accounts. They couldn't be a part of Mm -hmm. the banking system. Why not? So they needed to have some sort of way to either store that cash, because the only way you could pay was with with cash. They weren't allowed a credit card or in crypto. And so that's the currency that they ended up using. Um, And and you're seeing that across. They all adopted that currency first. um, Well, like when I go to the farmer's
2: market, it's little things, right? So I'll go to pay for my lettuce, right? And I'll be out of cash. I'll be like, oh, yeah. can you take a digital payment? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I could take a PayPal. That's all I've got. But can you mark me as friends and family so that the state doesn't steal 30% of the money?
1: Yeah.
2: And that's real. That yeah. 30% yeah. for that little farmer is a big deal. Big deal. And, right. Yeah,
1: exactly. And
2: uh, they don't re- a lot of people don't realize the amount of taxation that's happening through these middlemen. And yeah. it's multiple layers of these middlemen. Anyone that's yeah. done an international payment. I want to send a payment to South America.
1: Yeah.
2: It might go through three or four banks that four. all take a percentage of that payment. And you won't even know how much the fees are going to be until you've actually sent the payment. They won't even give you an estimate.
1: And you don't even need to go and do a remittance to South America. You just need to go to your local supermarket and pay with a credit card company. The amount of intermittent, you know, into you know stages and middlemen in at credit card payment from the credit card itself to the credit card issuer to the credit card, you know, hold you know brand to the POS system that's there yeah. through the network, the chain, right? So all of a sudden, that adds up to five six percent, and for a grocer, that's quite a lot of money, right? In the end, that live on. Raise it in margins anyway, right? so you need industrial size you know Costco type in institutions in order to make it worthwhile and to be able to have this set up and be able to provide that, which sort of leads exactly. me to the to the next sort of element, which is really around you know what has happened in the world is we've grown and built layer on layer on layer on layer of regulation and laws and, and requirements, right? So much so that the existing incumbents have constantly adapted to those systems and those layers that have been layered on. Mm -hmm. So they have such um, bad user experience as a result because they're, they've just sucked up all of those requirements and, and, adhered to those legal requirements and so they're now becoming the enforcers of those right i was at a dinner the other day and i was constantly on defense like oh i'm regulated i'm regulated i have to deal with regu-. all you tech guys don't have to deal with that it's like yeah but why because you've just adhered to it and you actually enforce it because for you that's your moat Mm-hmm. You haven't. You don't care about customer experience anymore. You care about regulation. Regulation is your defense against everything else. The amount of financial institutions I meet with. Oh, we're setting up and we're going to be regulated. And okay, well, so you're not even trying to innovate anymore. You're using regulation as your moat, right? That's your mm-hmm. defense and differentiation. It's not. Oh, we have a great user experience. Our customers leave us super happy. Fuck that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> mean, the yeah. To start yeah. a business in America, yeah. go nothing but up, right? Yeah. So you have some industry and your, your friction to compete in that industry is formulating a company, getting tax ID numbers, going through many layers of regulation and for small businesses, this is a huge hurdle. It's yeah. expensive for small businesses to get started. And it leads to a huge advantage for the incumbents that are in the system. Yeah. Those incumbents, they, uh, they rode the wave as it went along. But this trajectory, this like, wave that happens is what makes too big to fail businesses. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden this this incumbent has ridden the wave and gets more and more traction Their Their competitors are not able to get into the market as easily requires a lot more capital for them to get in because of the market not being a free market because of the huge amount of regulation. And at no time does the amount of regulation go down because the government's answer to every problem is more government oh, or more regulation. Yeah. There's exactly. never a time they're like, oh man, these businesses are getting buried by, uh, through all this regulation. We need to reduce the burden for the business. Never. 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 Because reducing the burden for the business reduces their ability to monetize off of that business. And the government's number one thing that they want to do is make money.
1: And I thought there was a, an interesting interview, right, So that with, with – I think it was the, one of the TED Talks with, with Elon Musk where he was talking about he hopes that on Mars it's harder to create a new law and easier to get rid of a new law because today we're in a world where it's harder to get rid of a new law but super easy to layer on another, oh, yeah. another regulation, right? And anyway, and then sort of that said, coming back to the dinner – um, that I was you know, just at and, and, and was sort of highly confronted against. It's like, look, disruption is the name, right? And there is, a, it's a really good name. Why? Because it means change. And change, everybody is always uncomfortable about change. And change is good and has bad to it, right? Because yep. if you're an incumbent, you hate change and you're going to fight it like tooth and nail. And in this case, unfortunately, separating state and money, the incumbent is the government, governments, right? And so how do we you know, tackle that? And it's really hard to change something where there is such an installed legacy base. And, and I think that's the biggest disruption in front of us. So
2: I, I agree with you on the, the, the legacy base. Um, however, I think that you put it through a lens where the, the you're looking at the government as a large entity that still means well. I've lost that perspective. I do not think they mean well. I don't think with the number of people they've killed overseas, the number of um, governments that they have uh, seen overthrown to put in leaders that were more friendly to the West, the amount of actions that I consider bad from the government, they are here to retain control. In an environment where a true um And I'm not necessarily always the biggest fan of democracy either, as I think it's catering to the 51%, but in a true democracy, it should be that the users and the the constituents of that democracy choose the direction that the country goes to. We don't live in a democracy. Every single person in America could wake up tomorrow and say, we would like to be a crypto-based financial system. We want to do these things. And it would not happen. And the truth is, is that we elect people to make decisions for us, not to reflect the decisions we would make. And this is a huge distinction, right? And I think that we've kind of lost our way in that regard. There are very few people that I feel are actually trying to present the purview of uh, of the people they're supposed to represent. They think, oh, I got elected. Now I can choose what I want because these people elected me. That's actually not how the system was supposed to work. And the, uh, the powers that be need to fund the huge military conflicts, the embassies, all of these things that have grown to be so huge, and they're never going to let go. So to me, the, the answer is parallel economies. We have to have economies that are separate from the economy that we know today. So for a farmer, instead of going and registering their farm as a business, and getting their tax ID number, they do all of that, right? Which puts them into a regulated category, right? They're going to need to get regulated for their cattle. They're going to get regulated for the way that they butcher their meat, all of those things. Anything that touches those fiat dollars, they're going to get uh, regulations around. But they can also offer all of those products in a totally different market that is a peer-to-peer market where they just don't report any of that to the government. So they can do whatever they want. And it doesn't require them to do the things that they did before. So a business technically could start that is a crypto only business that doesn't have a tax ID number, that doesn't have all the regulations attached to it. It's run by Mary. And you go and you talk to Mary and you buy her strawberries. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. But those parallel economies need to sprout up where we can use these currencies in more places and offer that uh, freedom to experiment with a new system that the government is never gonna allow us to do. And not only that, but freedom, they shouldn't be choosing to allow us to do something. Our default state should be that we are free, free to do what we want. The government is supposed to stand up and be there for a few key things that we've decided as a society are important, like property rights, Criminal justice systems for ultra-violent offenders—things that we generally agree need some form of entity to help us manage,
1: exactly. right? Yeah,
2: but they've gone well beyond that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And, and I think you know, and 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 it's it's that that argument and that statement that I think we need to capture and really advocate a lot stronger, right? And um, you know, I think yeah. Anyway, I, I really feel that that is something that we need to drive home and and what i'm constantly in all my interactions people see that as anarchy right there's it's either it's either democracy and government and regulation or it's anarchy right there's no floating gray zone in the middle right it's really black and anarchy you know i you know there are books about anarchy that actually paint a really good picture of what anarchy can be right and um, you know, and
2: well, to and, me, they always look at anarchy on the extreme bad spectrum. Exactly. exactly. They, it's always think bad. Anarchy. They think yeah. everyone's packing heat. They got guns. They're shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> they're breaking into businesses. They're robbing yeah. people. When I think anarchy, I think of like someone that just wants to own their farm or own a piece of land and be left alone. Yeah. That if someone comes on their land, they want to have guns because they want to protect their property. Yeah. They want to be able to raise their family without being told where that kid needs to be educated. They want to be able to feel free. And that's the other, that's the utopian anarchy angle, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah The reality
2: exactly. is somewhere in the middle there,
1: yeah, right? Yeah.
2: And we won't know and, it and, until we try it.
1: And that's the thing, right? That, that experimentation, right? We have to try it. And I think also, if you look at the incumbents at the moment, right? They're all of a, um, a, a more senior nature, right? So they're either older, uh, they've been around, they're more experienced, they're cautious, right? They want to protect and they want to look, you know. So whereas the next generation, come, they're looking for hope. They're looking for new drives. They're looking for new opportunities. How can they earn their wealth? Or And wealth, by the way, money is only a means to getting you what you want, right? And mm-hmm. and the idealism that, oh, with a big pool of money, I can do all of this and this and this. But it's not holding on to the pool of money. Who cares about that? It's really, I can do all of this and this and this, right? And so...
2: I mean, the things it, we want are good food, uh,
1: yeah. good
2: environment to live in. We want, you know, good technologies good, if we're technologists, goodness. you know, like I want fast yeah. internet, you know, I want to yeah. be able to communicate with folks. But it's not the money that brings the happiness. It's yep. the ability to build a future for yourself and feel stable and be able to provide for the people that you care about. Yep. That is the key thing. And a lot of people have lost sight that money isn't the only way to do that,
1: right? right? Money is yep. one
2: way to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, and, and and I think what the experimentation also leads to is, you know, me in a community and having that community accept and have a, a, a a, a common object and and that is reflected for me in a token that we all buy in and it reflects our exchange money was created to drive and facilitate trade and yep. trade has become extremely complicated with real world money now with fiat right but with crypto you know i can create a trade i can do atomic swaps we can do so much the possibilities are so wide people are worried of all of those possibilities but Trade is the best way of interaction. I have an exchange. I give you something. You give me something back. We're happy because I got what I wanted. You got what you wanted in return. And we're all happy as a result out of that. And we've interacted with you. We spoke to each other. We had a trade. I found out where those onions came from, how they were produced. And then ultimately, I've learned something. You've exchanged something. I understand you better. You understand me a little better. And so that Mm -hmm. is creating a level of happiness and so trade creates happiness and how is money here on the planet and crypto ideally as a means to facilitate and simplify that trade without any middleman well, in the middle right well,
2: well the truth is is that the biggest uh you know blocker for money is financial laws and enforcement laws in in the world today so you look at what's happening right and There's, you know, money laundering and all of these other things that they claim are, you know, happening in in crypto markets that happen in all money markets. But let's look at what that actually means. The only thing that means is that someone is hiding money from the state that said that they didn't like what that person was doing. Full stop. That's it. That's what money laundering is. You did something the state didn't like and you're trying to hide the money so that the state doesn't know you did that. Right? So 100%, this is contrived. The state makes rules as to what it doesn't want to allow for money and adds friction to open markets. Meanwhile, they'll happily fund companies like GE that make nuclear bombs. They will happily sell Scud missiles. They will happily sell biological agents. They will happily sell the most evil products in the world and then complain about other people doing money laundering. And, ooh, let's buy their insane. equity as
1: well. Let's buy shares. In them too. <laughs> I, I,
2: no, I mean, the, the whole thing reeks. And the truth is, is, anytime you have a free market trade, both sides benefit. Most sides are happy with that trade or it wouldn't happen. And I'm a big fan of voluntary action. Uh, voluntarism is something I think is really, really important. When, some, when two people decide to do something, they should be both doing it Voluntarily. Things in society break down when one side doesn't want to do the thing, whether that is murder. One side doesn't want to get murdered, right? Uh, These things are very obvious in every major thing that is bad in this world. But when both sides agree on the thing that they want to do, generally those things are net positive. Those are the things that you want to allow in this world. Problem is, is that there are a lot of people that do bad things in this world. There are people that pollute our water. There are people that sell weapons. There are people that enjoy running businesses to go and kill people. And that is just the truth of our world. And it's the truth of humanity. And there are some people that want to mask humanity through legislation. I think that that's a shame because then you don't see what humanity is actually doing. It should be cultural. And there should be social and cultural norms that slowly migrate those bad forms of thought through visibility, to a new way of doing things. And th- these are just different worldviews. You can legislate constantly, but if the people that are legislating are also the ones that are dropping the bombs and killing the people overseas, then are re- those really the people that should be doing the regulation?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, I, I think one thing that really stands out to me is, is I think, who was it, Buckminster Fuller, right? He, was, he came, made a big statement around, and, and we use this as sort of our mantra, right? You never change things fighting the existing reality, right? The way to change something is build a new model, right? And make that the existing model, right? So how do we create a new model and get everybody to ape in into this new model? And what I feel with the new model that we started off in, 2000, in, in, in 2009 with is now being sort of corrupted and trying to be not the new model but it's trying to be pulled back into the existing model so we can hold it and rein it in from being this wild new experimentation and and and, and that's to me i think they why i love talking to you and why i think you know people like yourselves are so critical to this industry to really continue to make us think We need to build new systems and we need to retain these new systems in the world today in order to get people to see that there are alternatives. Right? We need to be able to speak to each other. I need the far left to speak to the far right, because if we don't have discourse, we will always have everything plain vanilla with no difference. uh, And it will be extremely boring um, and You know, we might as well all just get fat and not think and, and, you know, get unhealthy and die at 22, you know.
2: A lot of people look at what happens when uh, things get absorbed by the bigger system as that there's some conspiracy or some bad thing that's happening or, oh, it's being funded by these bad people. I don't look at it that way at all. It's very simple. Most people think their worldview is right. And they disagree. So. No one really knows. There's a lot of, you know, disagreement on what the correct worldview is. And in order to pivot a product, you just pay the people that are in that product that have a similar worldview to you and give them more money. Very, very, very simple. That doesn't require any vast conspiracies, doesn't require you to call out people for being evil or part of the new world order. It's just how life works. So... A lot of these cryptos have gotten major funding from the existing financial system, which has brought in more people that have that worldview. Those people get into the industry and then the overall shift of that industry is towards that worldview. That's it. It's full stop. There's no crazy conspiracies. No one's trying to do evil. No one wakes up and is like Dr. it up, trying to figure out the best way to destroy the world. Not at all. But I may disagree with them. Right, So I think that a lot of people coming in are looking at crypto as a way to make more dollars. And I think that that worldview is extremely counterproductive for crypto long term because it does turn it into a Ponzi slash scam type of situation if the only thing you're looking for is let me get the price up so I can get out at a higher rate. That isn't pushing the industry forward. Pushing the industry forward is getting more people actually using this technology and keeping it decentralized so that we don't just rebuild the same financial system we had before with a more digital, you know, cryptographic approach. Um, And for me, it's all about use, right? It's up to us in our daily transactions to decide which of these networks actually is successful. Reality, Twitter is not the free market economy. Twitter is just Twitter. And be able to say whatever the hell they want there. When I go to my farmer's market, no one, no one cares about Twitter. No one cares about which crypto's the best or which one. No, no one gives a shit. It just doesn't care. What they care about is can I pay my bills? Can I feed my kids? Can I afford to do the things that I need to do in this life? And for when you look at what people need, there are a lot of cryptos that can be beneficial for it. And that's why I see, you know, BCH adoption in the Caribbean as being really interesting because you have a large unbanked population that is cash only and you have a a government environment that is willing to allow for fiat to crypto conversions via ATMs with very little regulation, which allows them to get in and out of cash and crypto seamlessly. And that's why it's taking off there. It's not because someone picked what crypto to use. It's not anything like that. It's It solved a problem. It solved a problem for them where they wanted to be able to hold things digitally and they didn't have banks to do it. They wanted to easily be able to transact peer to peer and they needed to use it. Therefore, fees are a sensitive topic and they needed something that was low fee and they needed something that was fast and they needed something with high liquidity globally. And they came up with a solution that's starting to work for them. And I think that that's really what it boils down to is avoiding these crazy cultish comments on Reddit and Twitter and all these and thinking that that reflects reality. It does not. What reflects reality is what people need to use and what works for them and being able to spread the word with our local communities.
1: Yeah. True said, right? I mean, I think... It's, it comes down to really, you know, velocity, right, and, and money velocity and the turnover of money and being able to trade in that, being able to buy something and be able to pay my kids fees, get food on the table. How does a replacement to what we have in the dollar terms, how does that, you know, what is that look like? What, how does that manifest itself? How does it grow um, and, and and it's ultimately the community that trusts in it and wants to trade in that and and, and i think mm-hmm. we need to get back to that uh, versus well, i mean stable just, coins yeah. aren't
2: stable yep. people want to talk about stable coins right stable yep. coins are tied to the fiat currency that is turning quickly into toilet paper so yep. like, I don't understand how anyone in good faith can call that the stable coin. Yep. When we just got a report from the Fed that we had over 10% interest rate, and that was a low ball estimate. Okay. <laughs> how is that? Could you explain to me stable coin? That's not stable. Um, and so we look at cryptos and yes, there's even more volatility there. But if we were so, to be using those more day to day and had an yep. active user base of those without this constant switching back to Fiat, it would be far more stable than what we have today.
1: And so I'm going to do a bit of a plug here for Nuon, right? So we're launching a product called Nuon off the back of Truflation, right? So we launched Truflation. Why did we launch that? Because we wanted to really get the real price data for mm-hmm. all the consumer items that everybody spends on a day-to-day basis over the course of a year or multiple years. Um, uh, you know, and how that price deviates over time, right? And so we've gone, pulled that together. We've got 30 different sources of data, a million more data points that we've aggregated. And then we say inflation is 11.9%. Okay, how do we use that as the bucket and basket and asset backing for a flat coin that is pegged to that? So in essence, you have a coin that is using not gold reserves, but we're using the consumer price index as the reserve, as the backing of your new coin, right? So you will always be able to buy that butter and the coin will always be a reflection of the price of butter, rent, education, health, transportation, blah, 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 as the backing, right? And That's sort of really what we're trying to do with Nuon and build that out so that you can then turn it around and you can continuously buy all the same stuff you need.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love these experiments, right? I think these things are really difficult to solve, right? Using the consumer price index is something a lot of people have thought about, but the devil's in the details on how do you implement that? And how does that work in the market where open markets can lead to price fluctuations and um, a lot of manipulation in those markets? whether that's massive shorting um, of certain currencies. (laughs) Uh, We see that all over the place. Or even commodities, right? We see that in crypto. We see that in many different markets. And uh, these are predatory practices, right? I'm all for someone being able to say, oh, I think the price is going to go down and doing small scale shorts. But when you see short volume on certain assets as more than is even available for that asset, it's like, wait a minute, the math doesn't work. There's no yep. way they had the asset uh, to be able to do the short, right? Like, there's just no way to be able to do that. And so, it's for me um, As really. We saw, what's, who's
1: the guy? What's the name? What's that? What's that hedge fund guy that just a uh, Bill Wang or something? Wang who just shorted I think 124 billion head out in shorts, and, and you know, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It and not it's gonna like, go oh, out. I'm going
2: to short more GME than exists. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. Okay. Well, what? Ha- what? That doesn't make any sense <laughs> in our markets.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And it's it, it's difficult because we we want fairer markets. And there are a lot of people in government that believe that they are trying to make the markets more stable. I don't think that they think they're doing something bad, at least not all of them. Um, I think that they are trying to play this game to from based on what they learned and are thinking that they are helping certain situations through lack of context and information and it, it's hard f- because we need to have all this experimentation now uh, right now we see this explosion of different coins, different options, and uh, but there's only a few that are fundamentally actually different what i and I, I want to take this as a moment just to say that there's a big difference between a cryptocurrency where the use case is just currency and a crypto product that is looking to do a lot more than currency. And what I found is that almost no one is trying to innovate in the currency space and that the ones that are in the currency space are the ones that have had a hard time in today's market. The people that are trying to build a world computer, or build, you know, all of these additional products on top of money, right? So today we have money, and then you have systems that interact with the money. And now we're seeing crypto systems where they're trying to do both in one system. So it is money and the interaction fabric in one system. And the difference in effort to do just money versus money and every financial product associated with it is like boiling an ocean we desperately need better money today and we can't wait another 10 years for the perfect money and financial institution tooling that everyone seems to want to be building out of silicon valley because that gives so much time for the cdbcs to take hold that those products will inevitably just operate on the CDBCs themselves. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think partially the reason why that is the case, I mean, I don't think, I mean, the reason why that is the case is mainly because of regulatory requirements that all of a sudden – we have to navigate and we have to create a utility value. We're not allowed to create a currency anymore, right? If you're just creating a naked currency, that's deemed a security, right? And so all of or in some form or fashion, or it doesn't pass the Howey test. So all of a sudden you're trying to fabricate something to pass some sort of regulatory hurdle so that you can get across the line and you won't necessarily go to jail or the government can't come after to you and, and shut you down your experiment, right? Um, so how do you do that? And that brings me back to the, the core statement, right? It's like, we let's not waste our energy fighting the existing system. Let's build that new system and experiment on that new system. And Absolutely. the broader community, people want hope. People want new systems. They are fed up with a system that was developed more than 100 years ago, a whole century, if not two centuries ago, have only had incremental innovation because Disruption is not the desire, is not the desired outcome, and it's up to us to continue disrupt and make a new model and make the existing models obsolete, right? So that people want to come in because they see hope, they see drive around that. And, yeah, but and
2: We have to be really careful about what new model we drive in, right? So I think that associating identity with your address is stupid. Let me be really clear. Like those people on Twitter that I see that advertise their .eth address, right? And are advertising to the whole world, their bank account or their crypto account. You're doing something stupid. I don't know what to tell you, right? Like I don't put my, my checkbook on my forehead so that everybody can see it when I walk around, right? And I like to have financial privacy. You're getting none if you do that, whether that's your NFT trades, whether whatever it is. So I think identity and the monetary network Absolutely, need to be separate. The big problem with the CDBCs is that your identity and your financial stuff are tied together by the state. So, are you going to just do the favor for them and you're going to tie it to them, uh, tie it together before they even roll that out? And then now on your tax form, they're just going to ask you what your ETH address is. And that's going to be part of your taxation paperwork. You just opened yourself up to link all of your identifiable transactions, all of your transactions to you. This seems like a really big mistake. And I see a lot of people making that mistake in the market today. We want privacy on our transactions. Identity and the financial fabric should be separate. Now, it would be different if you could start a new identity in your wallet. So think about it this way. Instead of having one global identity, you have a wallet and you say, okay, I want to sign into this site create new identity new identity comes on and you get a new address you associate that with that one site because that site knows all your payments anyway they know everything about you because they're doing business with you so that privacy is no longer that important right that is worlds better than what's happening now still has some privacy concerns on an open blockchain but at least it's scoped for the individual services and then you don't need to uh, show anyone that address belongs to you. So you still have some level of pseudo anonymity on the chain when it comes to that particular service. But no one's building that. And there's a reason that no one's building that is that the unsaid problem with all of crypto today is that key management is hard. And none of the solutions for key management are good enough for global money today. So if I have an Ethereum address and I get hacked on OpenSea, they steal all my assets, and then it's like, oh, no, boo-hoo, and then I have to go and transition to a new address. Well, in any true crypt- like cryptographically secure system, there should be a root key that they never had, and you should be able to revoke access to that identity and say, oh, this is no longer valid. I'm going to say this is no longer a valid address anymore. And here's my new one. Here's the one that I just created that hasn't been compromised. And your root identity should be able to move the assets between your sub-identities. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how systems like PGP work. Problem is, is that tooling is really complicated. Doing revocation, managing multiple keys for different properties, all of that is not built into these wallets. So we are opening ourselves into high-risk scenarios because best practices in how we do key management are not being followed for any mobile wallet. And so this is this is a problem, right? And with some with chains that are not trying to do identity along with the, the financial pieces, you're generating new addresses. And even if an address gets compromised, it's probably going to be for a very small fraction of the amount of money that you have. And it's most likely not your full seed phrase that gets compromised. You have a lot more insulation in those environments than you do with any of the web three environments. So you look at, you know, uh, a majority of the chains that are people, people are putting billions of dollars into. And we're seeing exploit after exploit after exploit. And Uh, It's a combination of poor key management and tooling in addition to this idea of we're building a computer and I'm going to approve that this computer can do something on my behalf without me saying yes again. So I go to a, a smart contract. I say, yes, I'd like you to do this action for me. And then I'm doing whatever I do and they have access to do whatever the hell they want on that address. So if there's an exploit or issue, well, multi-party computation is a thing and this is far safer. So instead of approving, yes, you can do this. What could happen is you go in and you say, yes, I'd like to be able to be open for offers to do this action. And then someone signs a transaction saying that they want to intend to do something with you. And then you, have to sign it and agree, right? And there's a queue of an agreement queue where you can do multi-signature transactions and work together to craft a transaction so that you can actually see what is about to happen with your money. Now, this is the Bitcoin model. This is Bitcoin Cash's model, Litecoin. yeah, A UTXO-based model allows for a lot of these things to happen. This entire idea that you want to allow for a hard-to-audit, Experimental smart contract to have access to do things on your behalf is what has opened up the door for hundreds of millions of dollars to be lost.
1: I think that's it. You know, sort of there has been a sacrifice on the security for user experience, right? Under the Mm -hmm. sort of auspices of user experience, where might why, my, while it might save you from having to click approve 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 all the time or sign 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 it has you know put at risk that 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 security as you just mentioned right so i think um and and security is is ultimately the the prime goal of what we should all be focused on in terms of as well as the privacy right so if i want to keep transactions private I should be able to do that, right? Because there are so many participants. I mean, there was just ETH in Amsterdam, and, and the big topic was miner ex- MEVs, right? Mineable extractable value, right? Miners extractable value, where they're front running your trades based on the data that they're seeing from you, yep. right? And, and so they know you want to buy that token. And within, you know, they, that gives them one or two windows to know the price that you want to buy it at. They're then extracting that and sending out a purchase order ahead of you um, in order to maximize on that and sell it back to you with a couple of cents or a couple of dollars ahead of the value that you were looking to buy that. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, and and that you know that's why we need privacy in this, and I'm willing to pay a premium for that and, and subscribe to that. And I think there are wallets that are going to come out. That are going to provide and ensure privacy as long as we can make sure that they're in a framework where the regulators don't shut them down because I can't see and it's, it's, you know, you're hiding taxes, et cetera, right?
2: Yeah, Um, and you know what? I'll I'll agree with the government getting visibility in my transactions when I get visibility of
1: theirs. And we, that's the other thing, right? We don't see it. We see this big check going to tell tell me where my taxes
2: were spent. Exactly. Tell me exactly exactly every dollar you spend and I'll happily show you my, my expenses. It'll never happen. They're never going to show us what they spend their money on. They had to have over a trillion dollars in undocumented adjustments. They lost a trillion bucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, 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 and 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 so and and ideally if if you do c b d c or whatever you want to do that, put your budgets on the blockchain. I want to be able to see all the transactions you know you just received a million dollars in in tax revenue or income. Where did that million dollars go? Okay, you can put a hundred thousand towards your salaries, and I don't need to see where that goes, but at least show me where you're spending the remainder of those funds, right you know, where do the rest of the 890,000 go, right? They go here, they go there. This went to that wallet. And ooh, that's the the water department wallet. That's the electricity department wallet. That's whatever, you know, but I can then see where they go and how those then get spent, right? That would be the ideal outcome. And I think that's really where we need to drive towards and and, and really help um, make that happen and put more accountability on, the powers that be um mm-hmm. and so they can't go on stage and in front of a camera laugh and tell them oh we were acting like an eight-year-old child with my whole populations or the citizenships um the people's money i yeah. have ruined your money and i was acting like an eight-year-old and i'm your representative by the way you know it's mm-hmm. like that's anyway that's what we want to change that's what i think the systems are that we are working towards to make uh, and drive that change and we want you the people to opt into this mm-hmm. and I think you know you're we didn't talk much about your your projects and that you're working on but I'd love for the people to be able to follow you and and and, and is there something you want to tell them to go to and and follow and then look up and oh um...
2: absolutely So we we talked mainly about, you know, economics and crypto this time. (laughs) I also work on a large scale gaming project uh, called Clementine's Nightmare. I encourage you guys to check it out. Um, It's a really fun game that I'm currently working on. Includes a huge collection of NFTs that are available on OpenSea. And those are master keys to uh, get started and get like these bonus packs when the game comes out. Skins and a bunch of other uh, fun stuff. And we've built a a world with over 40 different characters in it. And the whole idea is this idea of nightmares and dreams and how that plays into the world of children and kids and the way they think about the world. And so Clementine's a 15-year-old girl, and she wakes up one day to nightmares all over her neighborhood. And these dream characters come to help assist her. And the whole idea is to try to paint uh, this picture of light and hope and overcoming the dark parts of the world that we live in. And so I've been having a lot of fun with that. It's at clementinesnightmare.io. Definitely check that out. You can find me on Twitter. I'm ZQuestZ on Twitter, but uh, yeah, you can find me around.
1: Awesome, Josh. Thank you so much. And we'll put the link in the, in the feed below as well so that people can find it and, and, and check it out. But again, super exciting. So much to do. We're in such a different world. Today than we were ten five two years ago. In fact, or three years ago, before this whole COVID broke out, and then even where we were, you know, the exchange of value can now happen. Let's just make sure that we can improve the systems where value gets exchanged, right? Um, Absolutely. Thank you. Decentralize all the things. Thank you so much for your time, Josh. Uh, your insights, your views, and look forward to doing this again sometime, and hopefully with a much nicer perspective no always good good.
0: this was stefan roost and josh ellithorpe you can follow josh on twitter at zquest z-q-u-e-s-t-z-e you can also follow stefan on twitter at sroost99 that's s-r-u-s-t 99 And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roos podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roos channel. Thank you for listening.